This is a Rooster Teeth production. After years of repeated impacts to the brain, CTE has plagued many athletes. And for some, it's unfortunately taken a dark and deadly turn. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we cover topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. First up, a bit of a content warning. In this episode, we'll be dealing with heavy themes such as mental illness and suicide. Aaron Hernandez was a professional football player in the NFL for the New England Patriots. He formed one of the league's most dominant tight end duos with teammate Rob Gronkowski becoming the first pair to score at least five touchdowns each in consecutive seasons for the same team. Aaron even made an appearance in the 46th Super Bowl in 2012, a pinnacle in a career of highlights before his life took a tragic downturn. On June 17, 2013, a little after 3.35 a.m., Aaron Hernandez tragically shot and killed his friend Odin Lloyd. Minutes later, Aaron drove home, then acted as if nothing had happened, resuming life as normal. Then, nine days later, Aaron was arrested at his home for first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Fast forward four years. On April 19, 2017, at 3.05 a.m., Aaron was found dead in his cell hanging from his bedsheets. Aaron's motivations for murdering Odin are still not clear and relatively unknown. There's still so much information about his life and death that's also unknown, but there's one irrefutable and standout piece to the story. Autopsy technicians discovered in examining Aaron that he had one of the worst cases of CTE ever observed. In this episode of 30 Morbid Minutes, we are discussing what CTE is, the debilitating impact it has on the human brain, how it occurs, and what it's like to live with CTE. We'll also get into the many unfortunate cases of CTE that have come to light throughout the years, with the majority of light shown on football and the NFL. Disclosure, this is going to be a bit of a more sober, somber episode, and maybe not as funny or jokey as some of the other episodes you've heard from us, so just be mentally prepared going into that. Chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, is a progressive degenerative disease of the brain found in people with a history of repetitive head impacts and repeated episodes of concussions. It's diagnosed more commonly in athletes across contact sports like football, hockey, wrestling, and boxing. It's even often seen in the military as well. As of today, most CTE studies focus on head injuries experienced by athletes. Promising athletic careers have been cut short and lasting legacies have been marred by its effects. Which isn't to say that the sports world is the only world affected by the disease. Yes, that is true. Um, Although before moving forward, I do want to make it clear that not all athletes or people with repeated concussions do go on to develop CTE. Yeah, there are several risk factors in play that make some people more prone to develop CTE than others. Age of first exposure to head impacts is crucial, as is the number of years of repeated exposure, and genetics play a role too. So what exactly happens in the brain when you have CTE? Well, it's a cycle of repetition and trauma, trauma repetition, constant blunt force trauma on the brain. And it's this repeated brain trauma that leads to progressive degeneration of the brain tissue. 
Consequently, it causes buildup of an abnormal protein called tau, which forms an irregular pattern around the brain's blood vessels. The tau protein misfolds and malfunctions, causing other proteins to in turn misfold. And it sets off this chain reaction where this malfunctioning tau slowly spreads throughout the brain, essentially strangling and finally killing brain cells. It looks kind of like tangles and threads in the brain. Yeah, we'll definitely attach a picture of what this looks like on uh, the 30 Morbid Minutes social so you can see, especially compared to like a normal and healthy brain. It's it's quite a stark difference. That's like, um, not to not to be jokey, but have you ever seen those pictures of a spider when it's given different stimulants? So it's like a spider that's had cocaine, a spider that's oh had caffeine gosh. and the way no. that it makes its webs. No, but now I'm obviously going to look that up. That's just, because that's just a spider, a spider that's that's brain has been manipulated by something. And then you see, you can see physically in a web. And that's what I always think of when I think of like someone that's had anything that's degenerative to their brain. I'm like, that spider, those webs were pretty wild anyway. Oh, geez. Yeah. But this uh, pattern of tau seen in the brains of those with CTE is actually different from other neurodegenerative diseases, such as Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. And that's because these changes in the brain can begin months, years, or even decades after the last brain trauma experienced or the end of a person's athletic involvement. Right, Jess? Yes, this CTE is basically it's it's broken down into four different stages, and so it is it it takes some time to happen. And um, like stage one, for instance, uh, the main symptoms during the stage include just like mild headaches and difficulty with concentration and attention. You might not even know that there's something more going on. So stage two carries over the symptoms in stage one. But this stage may also present with depression, short-term memory loss, and explosive, uncontrollable moods. Stage three, the person presents with, uh, along with everything in stage two, the person presents with various cognitive difficulties, including, you know, memory impairment and problems with planning, organization, and multitasking, violent outbursts, increased frustration, mood swings, and lack of interest in people and things they have previously cared about. Then you get to stage four, and this is the most advanced stage in which the symptoms may become quite severe, very debilitating. So extreme memory loss, language deficits, mood disorders such as you know hyperaggression and other psychotic symptoms. Mm-hmm. The person displays severe cognitive problems as well as like personality changes and dementia. And there may be motor symptoms such as like problems with balance and movement in the person may have substance abuse disorders or suicidal thoughts and, you know, needs absolute prompt treatment. On average, 13 years tends to pass between stages and people over 60 with CTE almost always diagnose within the stage three or four camp. It's like, you know, how do you, how do you know? Cause a lot of, at least, you know, in stage one, that doesn't seem like anything normal than like, yeah, I have mild headaches, but hundred percent. And like, there are so many other diseases and problems, especially that come with having like a career in athletics or something like that involves contact that it's, it's hard probably to attribute one disease when there are mm-hmm. so many possibilities. Mm-hmm. And something that I came across was I think that the average age of someone to start experiencing this or the most common is like age 51, which yeah. 
is not old. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. Yeah. Absolutely. CTE often affects the dorsolateral frontal cortex, an area very, very critical for cognition and executive function, like including like working memory, planning, abstract reasoning. So when hit numerous times at varying levels of force, it can turn into symptoms of, you know, memory loss, confusion, impaired judgment, impulse control problems, aggression, depression, suicidality, Parkinsonism, and eventually progressive dementia. Yeah. And some of these symptoms might sound on par or you might confuse them with Alzheimer's disease, uh, which we know is tied to memory function. And although there are a lot of similarities between CTE and Alzheimer's, significant differences do exist. Yes. First off, uh, CTE symptoms generally present earlier in one's, you know, 40s, whereas Alzheimer's starts to show around 60 and up. You know, like when I think of Alzheimer's, I think of like old people. <laughs> yeah. I think like sometimes I think like, oh, there is, you know, uh, early you know, Alzheimer, but that's mm -hmm. more of a rarity than the norm. Also, while Alzheimer's disease's dominant symptom is memory problems, CTE generally involves problems with judgment, reasoning, problem solving, impulse control, and the, kind of the big one, aggression. Yes. And these diseases present differently in autopsies. So Alzheimer's disease is diagnosed through like lab tests and brain imaging that can be performed when symptoms begin and while they progress. This means it's easier to rule out other similar conditions as well. But in the unfortunate case of those with CTE, it can only be diagnosed after death by an autopsy, which is not ideal. Which really makes you wonder why though, because you would think if doctors can diagnose so many other degenerative brain diseases that they could do the same thing with CTE, right? Yeah. And it's super tricky. This is, you know, currently all still being worked on. And we'll get into that later, but machines like the MRI, the CTE, the PET, they only show so much. And it's really only after death that the brain tissue degeneration and the buildup of the abnormal tau proteins that we talked about earlier um, can be found. And since it's done, um, since it's done by invasive procedures, you really like have to get into the brain to see this stuff. Uh -huh. And there's also like no other tests, like no known blood or spinal fluid tests for CTE either. Yeah. So it can like really only happen after death. I know, which is, they're working on it. Yeah, they are working yeah. on it. <laughs> we'll get to, I guess. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And you might be surprised to learn that research into CTE is only about a century old. It was first identified in 1928 by one Dr. Harrison Martland, who described a group of boxers as having, quote, punch drunk syndrome, or dementia pugilistica. Dr. Martland's medical paper from 1928 documented 23 examples of boxers, five of which he examined himself to come to these findings. He noted that symptoms could present like immediately after injury, sometimes even during the boxing match itself, as evidenced by like minute changes in their demeanor or more obviously when boxers kind of would like stagger as they walked back to the corners of the ring between rounds. I mean, you're getting like severely punched in the head, you know? Yeah. So yeah, you're going to like, oh I, yeah, I just can't imagine. <laughs> I've never been punched in the head before like that. I mean, and it sounds silly when like, you know, the plot of Rocky five begins with do the doctor telling him like, you can't fight again because if you take another blow to the head, it might kill you. Yeah. And it's just, it seems like such a dramatic movie plot, but it's like, no, 
this is the case because mm-hmm. someone's literally had their brain pounded to mush over and over again, time mm-hmm. and time again. Mm-hmm. And one more blow could be fatal. Yep. I feel like in those moments when you see a boxer staggering to that corner and they're a bit delirious out of it, it's like you're seeing the potential of a disease like this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, you're getting like you're getting a glimpse. But over the next 75 years, several researchers reported similar findings in boxers and other victims of brain trauma. But, you know, given the lack of research, only 50 or less cases were confirmed. Describing someone's condition as punch drunk is now obviously very outdated for several reasons. One being that we know this condition is not limited to boxers. Yeah, not anymore. Like we mentioned earlier, it's mainly common in any sort of like contact sport play. Although the sport that led to the most head injury related emergency room visits in like 2009 was cycling, mainly due to those not wearing helmets with more than 85,000 visits. Yes. According to the American Association of Neurological Surgeons, which always wear a helmet, always protect your brain. And that makes sense because I think anybody can get on a bike. Probably more so than people are playing football or boxing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that that makes total sense. And we are going to get to some of these specific sports and how CTE is happening within them right after a word from some of our sponsors. Your loved ones are complex, beautiful mysteries, but Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. Whether you're shopping for mom, dad, teenagers, in-laws, or your best friends, Uncommon Goods makes it easy to find remarkable and truly original gifts for anyone. I wanted to find for myself the most uncommon thing that I could. So I got a nocturnal dial, which is modeled after this like 17th century not a sundial, but like the opposite of a sundial. It's like determines the hour and minute by aligning with the stars and you look through it's it's just it's cool and it looks really, really cool. And I felt like it's, it was the most 30 more minutes thing I could get from them. Oh, my God. I love it. You have to show me. Yeah. What did you get, Jess? I got I'm I love trees. I'm obsessed with trees. I don't know. I don't even know mm-hmm. if you guys know this about me, but I love trees. And I um, bought the majestic forest bookends. And I think there was only one left and I got the last one. I'm, they might restock them. I'm not sure. Um, but it will go perfectly on my shelf above my desk. And they were handmade so it's just extra special it's like nice knowing that I don't just have like a piece of target stuff up there which I love because when you shop at uncommon goods you support like you did these small artists and small independent businesses Yes, yes. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back a dollar to a nonprofit partner of your choice. And they've donated more than like two and a half million dollars to date. And you too can have cool stuff in your home like Jess and I. And you can get 15% off your next gift if you go to uncommongoods.com slash 30mm30mm. That's uncommongoods.com slash 30mm for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon goods were all out of the ordinary. Elise, I love our trips down Morbid Lane, but I am hungry. So I'm going to run out to the store. Jess, you are a producer and a busy podcast creator. You do not have time to go to the store. But going out to eat is too expensive. No, get HelloFresh. It's cheaper than the grocery store and up to 72% cheaper than restaurants. And they have over 30 recipes a week with fresh, ripe ingredients, tomatoes from the vine. But I really love waiting in line at the store. You are truly alone in that, my friend. But HelloFresh has options too. 
Okay, they've got veggie pescatarian, fit and wholesome, stick to your goals. They've even got snacks. I do love my snacks. You're right. And right now they have limited edition kid-friendly baking kits. What? Next, you're going to tell me that it fits my schedule and it's flexible and I can change my meal preferences when I want or skip a box or cancel anytime. Yes, all those things. I've done all of those things. I've asked for no pork because I don't really like pork that much. And I've asked for no red meat and I've skipped boxes when I've been on vacation. It's great. Absolutely. And it really does. Like I am not a cooking type of person. I need directions. I need to know that it tastes good. And thankfully they take all of the thinking out of that. And, um, they have the directions clearly laid out. The meals are tasty. I love it. It really is the best. And it's even carbon neutral. Can't beat that. So go to hellofresh.com and use code 30 mm 6 that's 30MM65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com and code 30MM6565 for 65% off plus free shipping. Disturbed True Horror Stories podcast brings a unique twist on true horror and true crime. Each episode, Chad guides you through a series of true, terrifying experiences. Kidnapping, serial killers, maniacs, and the worst parts of your nightmares come to life. Featuring high-quality, well-known storytellers, each one bringing their own personal blend. Uh-huh, and each episode is brought to life with its own creepy musical score, allowing you to feel the fear of each story. And when it's put all together, you'll find yourself right in the middle of one of the best true horror audio experiences you can find. And these episodes, I think one of the scariest things about them is it feels like things that could happen to you. It's like simple life things like the babysitting job from hell, okay, or just a home invader that leaves a terrifying message by cleaning someone's carpet. Like it's just like such creepy stuff that you're like, this feels like it could happen in real life, which can sometimes make it even scarier. I love it. And we think that with just our listeners being the sickos that they are, that y'all are, (laughs) sorry about that, but you kind of are, and you know, that we we think that you will love Disturbed. Um, You know, recent episodes include stories such as a serial killer roommate, dating a hitman, how my best friend tried to kill me, and did I actually die and slip into an alternate reality? Follow and listen to Disturbed, true horror stories in your favorite podcast app or online at disturbedpodcast.com. Back to this very, very heavy episode. And uh, we, before the break... We were talking about the sports that led to the most head injury related emergency room visits in mm-hmm. 2009. You pointed out that cycling, mm-hmm. maybe surprisingly, was the number one sport. Yeah. Football, maybe not so surprising, is a close second with more than 46,000 ER visits, followed by baseball, softball, basketball, and water sports. Mm-hmm. And there were even around 10,000 ER uh, room visits in 2009 caused by golfing accidents, which you might be surprised to learn given golf's not exactly an adrenaline packed sport. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of surprised by this. I was like, what are you doing? Just like Just whacking balls at people's head yeah, or a club. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But again, not all head impacts result in CTE. We're just demonstrating how common head impacts are and how they can cause a lot of trips to the ER every year. Thousands, in fact. 
Yes. It's very important to approach these activities with a safety first mindset, you know, and then there's me who, you know, banged their head on my car getting into it the other day. So did that really happen? Yes, it did. Because you're trying to, you're juggling too much. You're you're probably, your hands are probably full. You were probably carrying a lot. That is a hundred percent (laughs) true. Always. And that car is very lucky that it's so difficult to buy a car now, used or new, you know, Mm -hmm. otherwise Mm -hmm. I'd say you kick it to the curb. (laughs) Anyway. I guess parallel parking is kind of that. But anyway. Yes, there you go. (laughs) We got there. There are organizations and labs on the forefront of CTE research. The CTE Center at Boston University, BU, is looking into how to diagnose CTE in a living patient which would be a huge boon. They've also played a major role in changing public awareness about the dangers of repetitive head impacts. Yes, so thankful for these guys. The CTE Center has been essential in establishing their neuropathological diagnostic criteria, developing a pathological staging scheme for the severity of CTE pathology, and delineating the clinico-pathological correlations of CTE. So many science words, but very, very thankful for them. I'm so glad that they're working on this. Yeah. The Unite Brain Bank at BU is the largest tissue repository in the world focused on mild traumatic brain injury and CTE. And this brain bank research team conducts high-impact, innovative research on CTE and looks at the other long-term consequences of this repetitive brain trauma in athletes and also military personnel. Mm-hmm. The brain bank contains more than 1,200 actual human brains, including over 700 brains that have been diagnosed with CTE. It's fascinating. I know. In 2005, a pathologist named Bennett Omalu published the first evidence of CTE in an American football player, former Pittsburgh Steeler Mike Webster. The publication caught the attention of Concussion Legacy Foundation co-founder Dr. Chris Nowinski, who proposed creating the world's first athlete brain bank. Nowinski has been absolutely essential in all of this CTE research. And, you know, he began uh, reaching out to the families of NFL players and other athletes who have recently passed away to arrange brain donations. And, And since then, a network of new foundations and organizations have emerged for this cause, thankfully. And I'm sure on the family's end that that might be an easy decision to make. Or it might be a hard decision to make. Absolutely. You know, I've never been there, so I can't, but I can imagine you run the gamut of emotions and you want to be helpful, but it's your your brother or child or, you know, mm-hmm. so it's tough. But um, all of this organized research has driven major public awareness, which is a good thing. It is. And you're probably most familiar with CTE because, you know, you've heard about it you know, through football players, wrestlers, and other athletes having it and making headlines. There's uh, the Will Smith movie, Concussion. There's the Netflix um, documentary about Aaron Hernandez as well. So it's definitely coming to light over the, you know, past few years, which is really great. But let's dive into some of the more notable cases of CTE over the years. Wrestling fans across the world know the name Chris Benoit. He was a 40-year-old Canadian professional wrestler in the WWE I watched Chris Benoit growing up and knew who he was. In 2007, Benoit murdered his seven-year-old son and wife, then proceeded to kill himself. Benoit's legacy in the wrestling world is now regarded uh, pretty tumultuously. It's, uh, It's very divisive, to say the least. He's been essentially scrubbed from history by the WWE and publicly flogged for a crime that many consider very, very unforgivable. Benoit's family asked the public to consider a different side of things. 
Quote, the person that did this is not the man we know and love, Michael Benoit, father of Chris, said on Good Morning America. Like some of these other families that are donating brains to these brain banks, Michael turned over part of Chris's brain to the neurosurgeons at West Virginia University. They examined his brain and confirmed that Chris had clinical symptoms associated with CTE. So while he was a 40-year-old man, he had a brain of an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient. Which is just like unbelievable and yep. like horrific to think about. There was excessive damage in just about every section of his brain, all four lobes deep into the brainstem. Tons of these aforementioned brown clumps and tangles we talked about earlier that were actual dead brain cells killed off as a result of years of multiple and probably chronic concussions. Chris had a drinking problem and he did take steroids. The media attributed Chris's actions to just roid rage and just chalked it up to that. One doctor who examined Benoit's brain did not think the changes were from steroid use. He said, quote, it's never been in the medical literature or any research to show steroids do this to the brain. The changes in the brain were found in the 1920s before steroids were even invented. Yes, and I wanted to include that Michael Benoit would like Chris's surviving children to take away is that, quote, their dad loved them dearly and what happened wasn't his fault, end quote. And for me, that's the part that really sticks with me when it comes to CTE is that end part where it says it wasn't his fault because, you know, from looking at all of the the scientific evidence here, it, it, it changes your brain. It changes who you are. And I know there's a lot of stuff around all of what he did. And I get that, but you know, there also is something to say that like his brain was turned to mush. So. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Like I was definitely aware and following all of this when it was happening. And when it first happened, he was, you know, eulogized on WWE and everyone was mourning and then the events unfolded and it really resulted in a, an about face of mm -hmm. how people perceived him. And and yeah, again, like he's been scrubbed from the history of WWE and it's 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 a lot. I, I still see it's still a, a point of discourse in the wrestling community and you still see a lot of his contemporaries that knew him talk about it. And a lot of them are not forgiving of Chris Benoit. It's horrific that these things have to happen for change to come about. And certainly his death and, you know, his actions, they brought about massive changes in how professional wrestling is presented on TV. And we could, we should someday, we will, I would love to do a whole episode on the premature deaths of professional wrestlers and how wrestling has changed from this era. Because I think this is all part of that. Absolutely. There's so much information in varying different um, sports and, and people that have been affected by this. It was too much to cover in, in one episode. But yeah, we should definitely do an episode covering wrestlers. Mm -hmm. But yeah, wrestling is only one sport. Like it's there are other sports that surprise me too, like baseball. I know. Yeah. In, in baseball, Ryan Friel, he's the first baseball player to be diagnosed with CTE. He played nine years in the MLB and retired after a series of injuries. While playing center field, he sustained a serious head injury while chasing a fly ball. Just months later, he took a ball to the head and sustained a concussion. 
Ryan retired in 2009, but had sustained significant brain trauma. He unfortunately committed suicide in 2012 by a gunshot wound. Examiners determined that he had suffered from CTE due to his baseball injuries. There's just stuff I think about, too, where like hockey players didn't have to wear helmets. Like it Mm -hmm. wasn't a rule until I think well into the 90s. Yeah. You know, which is just kind of baffling to hear. But over the years, CTE seems to be running rampant in especially football, with the CTE Center having found the disease in more than 90% of the brains of NFL players they have examined, and many more brains are waiting to be diagnosed. Junior Seo was one of the greatest linebackers of all time. He played 20 seasons in the NFL and recorded over 1,800 tackles and almost 60 sacks throughout his career. He ended his life by a bullet to his chest at just 43 years old. And of course, his brain showed significant signs of CTE. He also suffered from depression and sleep disorders for years before his death. This next one's a hard one, but the youngest football player to have suffered from CTE was Nathan Stiles in 2012. He was only 17 years old and in high school when he was a running back playing in his senior year when he sustained a serious hit to the head and later died from second impact syndrome. And during his autopsy, he was already showing signs of CTE. Dave Dorison was a safety who played in the NFL for 11 years before retiring. He won a Super Bowl with the Chicago Bears in the 80s and another with the New York Giants in the late 90s. Dorison committed suicide in February 2011, and prior to his death, he actually texted his family indicating that he wanted his brain examined and used to study CTE and concussion trauma. The four-time Pro Bowl selection was 50 years old whenever he took his own life. Uh, That's even sadder because it's like he must have had some awareness that something has changed in him. Yep. Uh, On the flip side, there are associations and organizations working to combat and learn about CTE. Yes. Here's what Dr. Amalu, who we mentioned before, said about it. Quote, I wish I never met Mike Webster. CTE has driven me into the politics of science of the NFL. End quote. Dr. Amalu said, you can't just go against the NFL. You will absolutely get squashed. And to add to that on the boxing side of things, Tris Dixon, the author of Damage, the untold story of brain trauma in boxing, says... The NFL concussion debate started with the Webster case in 2000. Boxing turned its back for nine decades, and we haven't had our Webster moment yet. So this is still an ongoing thing. It's still being explored in different um, sports, and it's it's still actively being talked about. Mm-hmm. But how can we make this overarching change when the basis of a lot of these popular sports is being physically hit? Exactly. I know. And it, it's hard. Uh, You know, a lot of critics just don't think that the NFL is doing enough and that they will, that they're just still not spending the time and the money to keep their players safe. And the NFL is very powerful, but yet they all seem to remain very coy towards the responsible course of action. Awareness is a direct threat to the NFL's popularity because it cuts into the bottom line. The NFL pulled in $15 billion in revenue in 2018. Which isn't to say that the NFL hasn't been targeted by several head injury lawsuits over the past few years. In 2015, the league was required to compensate former players who suffered from brain trauma with an approved $1 billion settlement plan per the Associated Press. In response, the NFL announced a 100 million Play Smart, Play Safe initiative toward better helmets and technology and contributing to this medical research about head trauma. Mm -hmm. But still, the concussion issue remains a persistent discourse of the league's past, present, and future. 
And then there's the UFC, where there's a lot of punching other people in the head. In May 2021, the UFC revealed their first concussion protocol guidelines. It's a 484-page document that's really similar to the NFL's guidelines for brain injuries. But sometimes these athletes, you know, have taken their their health into their own hands, rightfully so. Floyd Mayweather retired for the second time in 2019, giving that his personal safety as, as the major reason why he does not want to continue fighting. Football players like Chris Borland, Hussein Abdullah, Eugene Monroe, and others have done the same too. And with all that said, unfortunately, there's just, as of now, no cure for for CTE. But certain medicines and therapies may be used to temporarily treat the cognitive parts of the brain and behavioral symptoms to help the patient's quality of life. Some examples uh, are like supportive treatments can be speech therapists, acupuncture, massages, memory exercises, and more. There's hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which uh, works to repair the brain tissue with stem cell therapy. Yep. And then frustrated by the lack of conventional treatments and the excess of addictive prescription drugs for, you know, pain and mood management, many former NFL players suffering with the symptoms of CTE are seeking out stem cell therapy as well. Hall of Fame running back Tony Dorsett and Super Bowl winner Matt Wilhelm have publicly discussed undergoing this stem cell therapy. Yeah. So all in all, there are still a ton of unknowns around CTE, um, but thankfully there is ongoing research and awareness about it. And it's something that, you know, we should all continue talking about, especially, you know, with all these sports associations and whatnot. So, yeah, it was a tough topic to talk about today, and I'm sure listening to it was tougher. It is very distinctly morbid to think about how someone can repetitively hurt themselves and that can result in just their brain becoming malformed and, you know, you become a different person. Absolutely. And there are tons, you know, not tons, but there's a a lot more sports athletes that we haven't even mentioned in this episode that have unfortunately dealt with with CTE. There's a lot to cover, but we highlighted a, a few of the main ones. And I love sport. I do not want sport to stop. Mm-hmm. But I don't want people to get hurt in this way. I don't think anybody does. I don't think yeah. anybody involved in the sports or playing the sports does. And so it's uh, interesting to think about and to know that this this happens. And a lot of people, I think, don't realize this happens. Absolutely. Happen. And there are some football players that have, you know, people from the outside look at it as them cutting their career short when really it's them, like we talked about earlier, just like- <laughs> yeah. t- you're- t- prolonging your life. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I know we just used Floyd Mayweather as, as an example, but even in football, yeah, th- there's, it's just like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to stop now. I had a good run, but before it continues to get worse or I keep pounding my head and I'm going to, I'm going to leave now. And yeah. And yeah. it sucks. Cause I definitely think there's been the machismo narrative of like, uh, you're bowing out now. And it's like, well, I do want to keep living. And like Mm -hmm. meet my grandchildren and not just be a vegetable that can't formulate a sentence. It's it's like interesting how, you know, that 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 can be a toxic like like I brought up Rocky five earlier where, you know, of of course, Rocky's going to fight again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like You you know, he's in one movie. He's told that he can't take another hit. And then the next one he's back. Uh, Of course. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But uh, well, Jess, you know. Yeah, hard episode, but thank you. It's it's good to talk about. Definitely. I mean, this is 30 more minutes after all. Mm -hmm. And thank you all for sticking with us and for leaving us reviews, subscribing to us, following us on social. 
at Jessica Vasami, at Elise Willems, at 30 Morbid Minutes. Yep. Follow us on TikTok too. We're, we're starting to really get involved with that. And um, also, you know, we, we've said it, do it, go purchase some cute, cute stuff in the Rooster Teeth store. We, we'd love to see it on you. Tweet us your pics. We love it. Oh, yeah. People Keep it coming. made like such cute outfits out of the shirts and stuff. I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I had our we have a little like sticker and I had it on a water ball, bottle and I lost that water bottle in an Uber. Oh no. Oh, no. oh God. Yeah, you didn't tell so, me that. We need to, yeah. you need to get a new one now. <laughs> I need a new one stat. <laughs> I actually, I have mine on my water bottle as well. And somebody complimented it over the weekend and that was like, oh, well, this is a 30 more minutes sticker. You should listen to the podcast. Yeah. You're <laughs> like, if you like this sticker, 30, you, you'll yeah. love listening to me and my friend talk about morbid things for 30 minutes week to week. <laughs> yeah. Super, super fun. Super great. Uh, well, as always, we wish you all a bad bye. And yeah, bye. you will hear from us next week. Bye, you sickos. Bye.